Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Allen back to pass in the pocket to the end zone. Yes! And he's by Patrick Peterson! And he slides down! That was just the last of many moments during the game. This was the moment after the game. I guess the new thing for the Vikings now is whoever makes the big play to close it out gets the chains on shirt off. The problem is they got five of the next six games at home, so there aren't going to be any plane flights back to Minnesota for a while. And the next one they have is a fairly short one. The rest of them are fairly short. They have three road games left at Detroit coming up in about four weeks. Then they finish the season at Green Bay and at Chicago. So uh, what a day it was. And, yes, Miles was amazed. Miles thinks I had this shipped in overnight. I actually brought it. This is the Chuck Foreman hoodie. I actually have two of them. It's a great business model by Chuck Foreman. Good morning, by the way. The show is PFT Live. We've got a lot to get to, so I'm going to get right to it. Well, I you ordered... didn't mention the sponsor. Hey, you got to mention the sponsor. Oh, oh bro. I thank you very much. Yeah, so we don't get paid. Thank you, Miles. Yeah. Miles gets paid mm-hmm. extra for reminding me. PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more go. at googlestore.com. And the show is PFT Live. Hello to our audience on Peacock. Had to think about that for a second. Sirius XM 85, Sky Sports NFL tape delay. There will be swearing today and podcast listeners wherever you may be. So He's just too excited. Here's a, Well, it really was quite a day. <laughs> And yesterday was one of the days, and look, everybody knows this by now. I grew up a Vikings fan. You don't get into this business if you just kind of are ambivalent about the National Football League. And if you follow any sport, you develop an affinity for one team. That's how it works when you're a kid. Now, some kids will pivot from team to team. I have some some relatives like that who will find a different team every year. Some will remain diehards no matter how bad those teams are. But, you know, you, you have a favorite team. You have a reason. 
that you tune in every week and you have teams. That Are you, you fansplaining me right I, now? I'm, I'm just making sure everybody understands how it works when you're growing up. I'm not telling you. I'm just telling everybody. I'm, this is all the backstory because this goes back to when I was a little kid and I was a huge fan of Chuck Foreman. Chuck Foreman was my first favorite football player. So a year ago, Chuck Foreman is selling these awesome hoodies. And see, I'm a firm believer that no adult male should ever wear a jersey with numbers on it of any kind, really. And, uh, uh, you know, sports-related. I mean, I guess there's other reasons to have a jersey with numbers on it, but I digress. But the hoodie makes it the exception. If it is a hood, then, then I'll give you a pass. So I ordered wow. this, and I got it, and he signed it. It's like, you know, that's a hell of a business model because now I have to buy another one that I can actually wear. So I have two of these, one at home that's signed. And so I brought this because Matthew Berry has a pregame fantasy football show and it's very casual and I thought I'd wear it and tell the story of the time Chuck Foreman went to Buffalo and got hit in the eye with an ice ball as he was on the verge of leading the NFC in rushing receiving and scoring triple crown sort of not the league just the NFC and he got knocked out of the game after scoring four touchdowns in the third fourth quarter and by the end of the game the snowball throwing was so bad Bud Grant sent all of his players to the locker room left his defense on the field, and if they had gotten the ball back, the defense was going to play offense with Paul Krause, Hall of Fame safety, at quarterback. The Vikings were up 35-13, so it didn't really matter. But that's how bad the snowball throwing was. So, fast forward 47 years, the Vikings go back to Buffalo for the game of the season, Miles. I mean, really, it, you just know it when you're experiencing it. And I don't remember one like this where there were so many crazy moments. I joked last night we're going to spend the whole show – talking about the game and maybe we will we could we could yes yes we absolutely could although i don't know why you've like did the men in black come to you and like just zap rams chiefs from your mind from 2018 because like that that really was not that long ago and frankly that game had more topsy-turvy moments over the course of four quarters than that one did i mean and it it was prime time shared experience we knew everybody was watching it fine yes 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 exactly so i mean you know you're like game of the year game of the decade maybe game of the century it's like bro like this this ram chiefs game like just happened well well, wait a minute wait a minute the brakes a little bit mr vikings fan who packed his jersey over there it is a different year it is a different decade so, shove okay, your effing I mean, like, calendar. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you want to say different cheese. decade, all right, that's fine. Yes, yeah, great. <laughs> well, the Packers cheese is no longer lodged up there. So, well, you know, the Cowboys had a little something to do with evacuating that. I guess the Packers took a laxative or something. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> Enjoy your breakfast. Yeah, there's that image for you. Mm-hmm. So, it, it still was uh, uh, just bizarre it was a phenomenal game it was was bizarre with you know a team that's down 70 points and you throw in everything that's happened in advance of that a stream of games where the vikings were in a fight late whether they're up and they blow a lead and they have to pull it back or they're down like last week down 10 points in the fourth quarter and had to pull the rabbit out of their hat and or butt and yesterday it was lost cause time. It was 27-10. Then it's 27-17. Mm-hmm. The Bills are driving. They go for it on fourth and goal. and Fourth and two, I think. Well, we should put fourth and something inside the 10. Fourth, yeah. and, fourth and short 
And, yeah. and they go for it instead of kicking the field goal to go up 13. Now, you know, maybe you missed the field goal. It's a little windy. But still, you're up 13 instead of 14. And you, you got to be a little nervous. But, I, I, of course, in hindsight, they should have taken the three. Patrick Peterson makes the interception. And it's funny because I was surprised that he, he ran it out. And he, he explained to me after the game the, the thought process because the flow of the play was to the other side. He thought he, it would just be him and maybe one or two others. And then he hit the 30-yard line. He just ran out of gas because it was a long drive. And he said, basically, I'm old. So, you know, I can relate. <laughs> but but uh, that was the moment that it was kind of like, well, this is interesting. But even then, they were down 10. Even then, they had to make another stop and make something happen. So even after punching in to make it 27-23 because the extra point was missed, which kind of helped set the stage for the nuttiness to come, they had to get the ball back, and they had to do that thing. And, and really, the moment that it became an, oh, what is this game? This game is bananas, was the Justin Jefferson. Now, we saw a great one-handed catch from Stephon Diggs yesterday. Spectacular. Yes. That was one of those, yes. like, oh, boy, this team isn't going to lose today. When Stephon Diggs is, you know, extending one-armed, and that ball hits that glove, and he pulls it down. It's like, man, that's, that's a team that is locked in, and, and Diggs is getting his revenge against the Vikings. And then Jeff, I, I still don't know what I saw with the Justin Jefferson catch. I don't know what that was. I, and the still frame of it, yeah. when you see the moment of the, 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 that they snapped up, it's like, how does that end up being a catch? Yeah. And, and, it, and you it, know, here's the lesson, Miles, before I shut up and let you talk. You don't go for the interception there if you're the defensive back. Your goal there is knock the ball down. Don't try to catch it. You slap it away. But, I mean, he's trying to make sure that Justin Jefferson doesn't catch it. That defies the laws of physics in my mind. Like, I, the more I see it, the more I'm just confused on how that is physically possible that Justin Jefferson could possibly have made that catch. I mean, it's not like... The defender's trying to do something that's unreasonable there. I mean, why in the world should Justin Jefferson make that catch? Again, physically, how is that possible? And I don't know if, you know, you got to knock it down or what. It doesn't matter. Like, you're trying to make sure he doesn't catch the ball. It's job number one. And I don't think that he's doing a bad job of that. It's just that Justin Jefferson did something that we've never really seen before. I've never seen anything like David that, Tyree Mike. David Tyree was the closest. David Tyree was the closest. I mean, I guess, but even, at least with the – I understand the physics of that, where it's like he's pushing it against his helmet. Like, that makes sense to me. I mean, I guess it's just, you know, you've got one player's got the ball in one hand and the other player's got two hands on it, and you're just sandwiching it together, and that's what makes it not hit the ground. But I I, I just, I look at it, and the more I look at it, the more I'm still confused as to how in the world that catch happened. Well, and the thing that defied physics at the end of the Tyreek catch was how it didn't touch the ground this is everything everything from how he pulls it from two hands and then rests it away while that's the thing he's resting it away from the db while they're they're going down to the ground unbelievable unbelievable and 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 that's one of those moments where it reminded me of the jermaine curse catch late super bowl 49 that we forget about because of what happened after that but when you have a moment like that it develops an expectation that that team is going to win the game. Whoever pulls off something like yes. that, they're going to win the game. But there was still plenty yes. of work to be done. That's the thing. This was just a, a, a minor detour on the way to the zaniness t- to still come. That's what makes that catch even more memorable. That was just like the first 
oh shit moment. I have 10 minutes. That was the first moment of that nature. And there were still more. And it was like it was never going to end. That's what made that catch even more memorable, that it was just the first of of a giant domino to fall and knock these other, what the hell was that? What the hell was that? What the hell was that? Dominoes over. Yeah, you know, I was scanning uh, Peter King's column, Football Morning in America. Of course, you can read that at profootballtalk.com. Well done. And the funny thing to me is that Justin Jefferson said to him, you know, before that play, Kirk Cousins said to me, you know, I might just have to throw this up to you. It's like, wow, Kirk Cousins really just ran the F it. Justin Jefferson's down there somewhere play. And by golly, it worked, man. Like, that is crazy. But you know what? When you've got arguably the best receiver right now in the NFL. And what happens yesterday, a yeah. game like yesterday elevates you. It's not like, well, it sure should, does. Oh, somebody else could have done it, but he did it. He did it. That right. achievement, that moment, 193 receiving yards, becoming the first player in NFL history to have 20 100-yard receiving games in his first three seasons, the first to have seven 150-yard receiving games in his first three seasons with eight games left. It was Randy Moss and OBJ with 19 100-yard games. It was OBJ, I believe, and Lance Allworth with six. Or it was Moss and Allworth with six. So it's just crazy. And he tied Moss and Allworth getting to 4,000 yards in 42 games. It's just amazing. And it's kind of been quiet. You know, it was quiet the first two years because the Vikings weren't winning. There was this aura of dysfunctionality around the Vikings so you didn't really get to appreciate Justin Jefferson the way that you should have because they didn't get to the playoffs you know they've been disappointing I remember there was a kind of a moment late last year and I thought boy if this keeps up he's going to do the Stephon Diggs tweet my way out of town thing and I'm not going to blame him so that all changes with the Kevin O'Connell regime and what they've done this year this is this is just like magical this is the Minneapolis miracle which was one moment in time extended over the course of weeks culminating in what we saw yesterday and who knows where it goes from here and I was telling my son that last night who's going to the game next week I told him of all weeks to be going to Minnesota for your first Vikings game there that dome is going to be louder than ever and who knows it could all fall apart next week that's you know that's my pessimistic nature forged by 50 years of witnessing the various ways that the heart can be torn out of the chest cavity and shown to you Omamshiba style but uh, that's another movie from the 80s that I'm sure you don't know about. But uh, it was just it was just it, it makes Justin Jefferson right now. He's the guy. I, I don't care what anyone yeah. else can do. He did. He's him. As Stefan Diggs said. There you go. Earlier this year. I'm him. He's him. Yeah. Yeah, he sure is. But I mean, yeah, it, it's funny because all of these catches were just brilliant. I mean, I, I don't recall a game usually where you see a guy have 10 catches and basically all of them are just such high level, like going across the middle. That catch was almost as brilliant as the one that defies physics right there when he's going into the red zone. And I mean, look at the way he's just got basically no separation, still makes the catch, still gets the feet down in bounds. Every single catch it seemed like was just so high level and so good. And, you know, I, for my money, I've been saying a long time now, it, Stephon Diggs is the best receiver in the NFL. But, I mean, my God, you know, when Justin Jefferson does that on that same field, I, 
I kind of got to hand over the crown right now. I mean, my goodness, everything that Justin Jefferson did in that game was so high level, was so elite that it's hard for me to say that any receiver right now is playing better than Justin Jefferson. Hey, it was funny, Miles, last week when Kirk Cousins was talking about the events that culminated in Stephon Diggs wanting a new opportunity for himself. And look, look, it it was about it was about Kirk. I mean, and Kirk knows it. Kirk is not going to come out and say it. He's not wired to do that. But it was the same day Kirk got his first extension from the Vikings. That's when Diggs started tweeting his way out of town. And I know enough from sources with knowledge of the situation to know that it was about Diggs just not being all in with Kirk Cousins. And, you know, Kirk has always been a guy who was kind of at a plateau. Somewhere in the second tier. Now, hey, moments like yesterday punch you through. Remember the comment from Quasi Adolfo Mensa from July that was viewed widely as a slap at Kirk? You know, it's like, well, you know, you, you either have Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or you don't, and we don't. That was basically what he said. It was kind of a challenge thrown down the gauntlet. So, you know, there's a freedom with which we're seeing Cousins play that we've never seen before. And when you have a guy that you can trust in one of those F it, I'm just going to throw it your way moments, and it works, that gives everybody confidence. And that's the other side of this, too. We marvel at the Jefferson yeah. catch, but Cousins deserves credit for in that moment knowing what he needed to do and doing it and getting it close enough that Jefferson could go grab it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that it's one of those situations now where you're seeing Kirk Cousins elevate his play to the point where you can say he's part, he's a real big part of the reason why they're winning games. Right. And I think that we have to consider the Vikings with the big boys now, although we weren't trying to before based on, even though they had that one loss, it's like, Oh, well, who are they playing? They're playing this team. They're playing that team. I don't know. I don't know. And then they go to Buffalo and they withstand all of those different things that all that adversity that they had to face. And they were still able to come away with that victory. You say, all right, well now the Vikings have proven that they're one of the top dogs in the NFL because they go into Buffalo and they beat one of the top dogs in the NFL. And because of that, you got to say, well, their quarterback and the way he's playing is also a big part of it. I mean, yeah, you got Dalvin Cook running for 81 yards as he did there on that touchdown, and that's huge. And then you also get other contributions. And then, you know, when you get the play at the end of the game by Patrick Peterson right there, that tells you something too. But like you said, Mike, I mean, you don't get to those particular points in the game unless you have a quarterback that can make sure you get there. Because there are plenty of teams around the league that don't have a quarterback that can make sure that in a tight game, you're still in it. And he's not going to necessarily lose it for you. And Kirk Cousins has been that guy for many years where sometimes when it's, you know, uh, tight time you know i don't know the things that i can and can't say on the air right now that i really want to say but you know when it's like that time where you're like "Mm, you really gotta have it he didn't always do it but in this particular game he was able to do it what wait were you what were you contemplating saying tight ass time is that where you or what or tight i don't know no yeah i don't know is this a reference i'm not familiar with time i don't know if we can say that i don't know um the, the, the Dalvin Cook run really was the spark. And, and Cook has been the guy that I've noticed all year. He has a level of determination. He has a level of focus that pops up from time to time. And, and he's just ready to go do what needs to be done. And, you know, when, when the game was 
on the line later. He was running hard. I mean, he just has something come over him. And you, you need – and this is something Peterson explained to me. You need to have guys that, that will step up. And it's different guys who are right. stepping up. Whether it is this 81-yard touchdown run that, that made 27-10, 27-17, and was kind of just like a glimmer or at least a little bit of an eyebrow raise like, mm-hmm. Um, but but I didn't really expe- I didn't expect it in Buffalo and the Bills drive right down the field. And that, my point was it doesn't matter because until you can stop them, it doesn't matter if you can score. They're, they're, they're up right. ten. You got to stop them, and and that's what what Peterson told me did. Before we pivot to some of the things that Peterson did, because I, I have a, an observation about how this can be a problem for the Bills going forward if they don't start minding their P's and Q's a little bit. Let's hear from Justin Jefferson on what was the catch of the year or the decade or the century. You take your pick. Here he is. Just the way my body, uh, how it went up, uh, him catching the ball in his hands and me taking it from him. Um, I mean, the whole the whole play was, was crazy, but, um, you know, it, it starts – with the O-line, it starts with blocking, giving Kirk that time to, to give me, uh, you know, that, that opportunity to go up and make a play. Um, but, it, you know, it's just it's not me. You know, this is a collective team win. Uh, so many people play so many different parts in this win. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's glad to be 8-1. It felt like it was unreal. It felt like a movie. Um, but just like I said, God is with us. Uh, you know, I, I told everybody, this is our season. This means this is our season for us to, to, to win out and uh, to go to the Super Bowl. So uh, we just got to keep work, uh, working, take on week by week, uh, going there, fix our mistakes, and uh, get ready for the Cowboys. I don't know what they're serving at post-game locker room, but woof, this is our – but see, that confidence. Here's what happens. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable – and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. When you develop the knack for doing what they've been doing late in these games. You develop a belief among your players and your sideline that it's going to happen. And it also develops a sense on the other sideline of here it comes. It's their year. How can anyone of sound mind not watch yesterday's game and come away thinking, hell, it's their year. To go into Buffalo and do what they did against the preseason Super Bowl favorite now I know the Eagles may have something to say about that and Tom Brady may have something to say about that and even Aaron Rodgers may have something to say about that before it's all said and done but but it's hard not to feel like there's a special shine and Miles this is the other reason why I think yesterday was significant I have been observing the Vikings very carefully for years they have not had a road win in the regular season like this for decades the closest I can think of is the 1998 Monday Night Football game, Lambeau Field, which was the Randy Moss national coming out party where he has the phenomenal monster game and game for the ages. That's what Brian Billick, the offensive coordinator of the Vikings, said at the time. It had that kind of feel to it because the Vikings are the team that has a great home field advantage and then 
from time to time will win just enough road games against lesser opponents to get home games in the playoffs. But then when they have to go on the road in the postseason and play a great team, they get slapped around like they did in San Francisco three years ago, like they did in Philadelphia for the NFC Championship game, like they did against the Giants in the NFC Championship game in 2000. You know, they, they almost somehow beat the Saints in the 2009 NFC Championship game when they grossly outplayed New Orleans that day but still lost the game. To go on the road and get that kind of a win in the regular season gives them the confidence that they can do it if they have to in the postseason, and maybe they don't have to. Maybe, maybe the Eagles stumble just enough. They got the Giants twice, and they got the Cowboys. The Vikings have to catch them and then pass them because the Eagles have the tiebreaker, but... It's, you know, when you start feeling it in your building, the reality is other teams are going to be tempted to feel it as well. And you just kind of have that. It's a subconscious thing, but it's just kind of like all hail, all hail the Kings of the North. This is their year. That vibe could start to creep in for them and for others. I, I think you're right about, you know, going on the road and winning a game in a hostile environment like that and the confidence that that can bring you. I mean, I, I just know from teams that I've covered, teams that I've been around, like the 2018 Rams, and when you have that sense that everything is kind of going right for you and when you, you win games like that, that really does mean something. Or even if you go on the road and you lose a close game, but you're like, man, we were really in it. And we understand that we might see that team again, or maybe it's just that we know what we can do in a hostile environment and we know what we have to do differently in order to win. Those things mean something. And so, yeah, I think it's the sense of confidence. That's one thing. But it's also just knowing that there is evidence, there is tangible evidence that you can go on the road and you can compete with the best teams in the NFL. You can go on the road and you can force turnovers off of some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, you, when it looks very dire, you can make a play to come back and beat the best teams in the NFL. All of those things are very, very important for a team to learn over the course of the regular season so that once you get into January, then you can keep making those plays and perhaps get yourself you know, to Arizona where you'd be playing for the, the whole thing. So even after the Jefferson catch that kept that last drive alive, then and, – and it's <laughs> – yeah. I, 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 I can't quite remember anything after that, but – but, blacked out. Yeah, wow. but but <laughs> without alcohol. That that's coming tonight. Um, yeah, oh, this is Vikings euphoria. But uh, they they did the play, and I meant to text Peter King this because we were riffing a week or so ago about the pushing of the quarterback and how that's perfectly legal and it's not been really designed into offenses yet. And when will someone put? like the Saints, put Taysom Hill out there and put a pair of defensive linemen behind him and just go basic physics, shove yeah. him just like that cheese right into the end zone. And they did that on the fourth and goal play after the Dalvin Cook drop when I was just uh. – just, I think it was Ed Oliver that jumped early and Dalvin Cook has the ball and he drops it and then the Vikings get another chance and they're a little closer and they try to do the whole physics thing. But Cousins, 
he didn't have enough. C.J. Ham pushed him from behind. It wasn't enough to get him over the top, and they did a very long replay review, and it was a good call. They got it right. Cousins didn't yeah. get the ball over before he was down. But then came what what I saw this last night. I don't know who to credit for it. I think it was Elias Sports Bureau. It was only the second time since the merger that a team that was trailing in the final minute took the lead on a defensive touchdown. The only other time that's happened was the Joe Pisarczyk, Larry Zonka, Herm Edwards moment, the miracle in the Meadowlands late in a regular season game, which gave rise to the widespread use of the victory formation. Why are you handing the ball off when you're up late? Just take a knee and kill the clock and go home. But it's only the second time since the merger that's happened, and it was the, the snap inside the one. I thought maybe they're going to get a safety there, and there was some conversation they should have taken one deliberately, but the problem is it would have been 27-25, and a field goal beats you. Right, and this, you the ball this back. This was the, the – I mean, as, as you're digesting the, well, they gave it a valiant effort. Well, it was exciting. Well, that Justin Jefferson catch was for naught. Well, you know, it's one of those games you just look back on and say, what a crazy day that was. You see Vikings players jumping around. It's like, what the hell happened? What's going on down there? And, you know, the center in that moment, as Sim said last night, you're worried about somebody taking your knees out. I mean, that's a legitimate use of the Greg Schiano right, tactic. Yes. You, you, you're definitely doing it there because they're not taking a knee. They're going to try they to can't. advance the ball forward in that moment. And they just yeah. couldn't, they couldn't secure the ball. And, uh, uh, and even then, even, <laughs> even then... Even then, Josh Allen had more than enough time to take the Bills down the field. That, and that was my immediate thought. Oh, they're, they're going ahead. But yeah, you, we, we know that all, all Josh Allen you know, uh, needs, although it's flipped around, it was the Chiefs needing 13 seconds. If the Chiefs can do it in 13 seconds, Josh Allen can do it in 13 seconds. He definitely can do it in 47 or whatever it was left on the clock. Yes. I, so two things about that. I mean, first of all, when we talk about like the nut cutting time, that's where you have to have the fortification of stones to just say, look, we're going to secure this. We are going to get this ball a little bit further away so we have some breathing room. And the Bills, for whatever reason, they just couldn't do it. I mean, that is one of those critical plays that you have to make when you're backed up that far. You have to secure the football. You have to be able to move further ahead so that you can give yourself a little bit of room to try and end the game. And the bills just could not do that there. So that's a huge problem, right? I mean, when you, when you're in those critical moments, those critical situations, can you make the plays necessary? And they weren't able to do it. I mean, whatever happened on that center quarterback exchange, whether it's the center's fault or QB's fault, you have to get it right. And the fact that they did not get that right is very alarming and it's very concerning. And you got to give the Minnesota Vikings credit for making the play, but still. And so then, you know, you get that chance now. Josh Allen gets the ball back. But, I mean, officials, what are we doing with the Gabe Davis non-catch? Well, well, I'll get to that in a second. Let me just say this, though, about the Bills' play. In their defense, how many times do you practice do you even practice? Do you carve out time in all the hours that are spent doing all sorts of other things? Do you ever practice trying to do the exchange live in that moment where you just got to get the ball in your hands and move forward when you're backed up to the one-inch line? I don't think that ever makes its way onto the list of plays that's going to be practiced by anyone. So you just have to go do it. It's like, we just got to go do this. You can't do it live. 
Well, no, I you know, do, but you can't do that live in practice. I know. But, I, I know. mean, at the same time, you you've gone through that scenario. I I think that Sean McDermott is a good enough head coach and good enough situationally. I would have to. You think, know what you need to do. You, I mean, it's, right. You know what you need you've to do. Gone that's fine. You got one. You got one option. Push the ball as far forward from yeah. the one inch line as you can. But how do you ever simulate executing it? That's my point. You can't simulate executing. Fair. So. Yeah, but you they get paid to do it. Oh, Josh Allen's one of the highest paid players. Wow. I'm sorry. Like Josh Allen's one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the entire National Football League. I don't think they're paying him for plays. that play, though. I don't think he got I don't think yes, he earned his money for, no, no, I know. No, no, I know no, what you no, mean. No. I know what you, you get, mean. Yeah, you, you get paid yeah. for every single play. All I, right. I'm sorry. Like, and Josh Allen is a good enough athlete damn. to do it. I, I, you know, I, I, come on. I don't know if you have a lawn, but I will be getting off of it. Jeez. I'm just saying, like you know, what do we what do we expect from these? We have to expect that he's going to make that play. That's why you call the play. That's why you pay Josh Allen because he's elite. I'm not saying that Josh Allen's bad. Of course, he's not bad. But, you know, he, you got to execute there. You have to execute there. It's just just a hell of a moment, a hell of a moment that doesn't happen very often. And uh, and you're right. You're right. You've got to step up in those moments if you truly want to be regarded as one of the best quarterbacks in football. And the proof is in the pudding, as they say. The Gabe Davis yeah. catch that you mentioned. Th- this yes. was a weird, bizarre moment on the final drive of regulation for the Bills. And I thought they were going to score a touchdown. And it was just going to be, see I you do. later. Forget about the field goal. They're just going to score a touchdown. Davis makes the catch. And the, the Bills did a great job of getting up to the line and getting the ball snapped before the replay assistant had the presence of mind to buzz down to stop the action so this play could be reviewed. Because in that moment, you've got to take the time to review it. Walt Anderson, the senior VP of officiating, admitted that last night. He admitted they should have initiated the review and that the review would have resulted in the ruling on the field being overturned because... Even though I'm not 100% sure that we would have had clear and obvious evidence that the ball hit the ground, when you're falling out of bounds like that, you've got to maintain possession when you hit the ground. You can't bobble it. If you're in the field of play, you can bobble it as long as it doesn't hit the ground. In that moment, you can't do that. And, and Anderson told a pool reporter that the ball hit the ground, and maybe if we study it closely enough, we'll see it hit the ground and move. But, you know, from that angle, it's like, eh, right there. well, there you go. There it is. Yeah. I, I sit corrected. But um, they, they blew it, and they admit they blew it. And I wonder if they would have been quite so candid, Miles, if the Vikings had lost the game. It's easy to bear your soul and admit your flaw when the outcome was the Vikings win. If the Bills win, if they score a touchdown on that drive or they win it in overtime, it's a lot tougher to fess up to that festering mess that they allowed to exist by not reviewing that play. Absolutely. I mean, look, it's inexcusable to not buzz down at that point. I don't know whose job exactly it is. Replay assistant. Replay assistant. And they got 345. They got 345 that is in a position to say to the replay assistant, buzz down. So they're not blameless either. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Everybody is culpable for that. There's no excuse to not have that happen. In that, in that kind of critical game, in that kind of critical situation, somebody's got to do their job properly there. And I think so, the referee, I think the referee 
you know, he can he can talk into that thing too. It's not just them talking to him. I'm sure he could say to somebody, "Are we sure? Are we sure that this? You know, are we sure here?" Yeah. Stop the play. I I, there, I just and frankly, you know, if that game was at 4:25 where there were fewer games, or at night where there's only one game. I feel like 345 Park Avenue has a lot less to pay attention to. Although at that point, that's the game of the day. So everybody's eyes should be on it anyway. Yeah. So uh, that's just, I don't, I, I, I really didn't like seeing that. I, I didn't, that, that's just not okay. Well, and, and you know, what happens is when something like that transpires, you get people claiming that they, whoever they is, the mysterious sure. vague, they yeah. want the bills yes. to win and mm-hmm. people, and, and, and this is all a product of the legalization of sports wagering, it introduces and legitimizes. It doesn't introduce. The, the, the tinfoil hat grassy knoll crowd has been around forever. But when you put legalized betting into the mix, you you legitimize the folks who would say, uh-huh, uh-huh, somebody's getting paid, somebody wants somebody to win, something is rigged. And no, it's just incompetence. No, I, that's, I mean, right. you know, I say all the time, I want to choose my words carefully here, unless I don't. I say all the time that the NFL isn't rigged, and the NFL isn't rigged. And people are like, wow, boy, you're usually anti-league office. And I'm not anti-league office. I'm pro-truth, and I'm pro, you know, let's get things right. And I'm pro, let's spend the money necessary to have the best possible officiating and the best possible technologies. I'm not trying to bring people down. I'm trying to uplift the shield. As I've said before, this is the product of being brainwashed by NFL films when you're seven, eight years old into thinking that the NFL is something you know, that's up, deserves to be up on a pedestal. I'm trying to push it up to that pedestal. Anyway, my point is, I don't think they're competent enough to rig games. That's why I, that's why it's, it's not that, it's not that there aren't maybe some folks who have been tempted. I'm not saying that. I don't know. I'm just saying they can't pull it off because I've seen the things that they try to pull off and they can't. I don't think they could ever pull off rigging a game. That's my primary basis for believing they can't. So the Bills tie it up. The Vikings get the ball first. In overtime, and it looks like they're going to score a touchdown. Another great catch by Justin Jefferson gets the ball down close to the one. And that's where these Vikings, and I really do think it's in their DNA, you know, this just kind of periodic, you know, Kirk Cousins getting tripped by a lineman multiple times yesterday, a running play that goes nowhere, a sack. You know, you can always count on the walls closing in on Kirk Cousins at some point and him losing seven yards and, and making it harder and that's the difference in the past. Look that! Look at that throw. That was a duck and cover throw, and he completed it. I, I turned back to Matthew Barry, and I said, what is that? What's that throw? And when that works, that that's more proof that they got something special going on. They got the horseshoe up their ass, as Sims would say and probably will say. That was the moment. It's like they're going to score a touchdown and win yep. it. But but then they got to get the field goal, and then you got to sweat out Josh Allen again. And I, they're gonna, Josh Allen's going to go down the field. And please don't let this be a tie. This game can end in a tie. They're going to go down the field, and Josh Allen's going to throw a touchdown pass, and that's going to be it. That's what I fully yeah. expected when the Bills got the ball back. Uh, me too. Uh, you know, that, that duck and cover kind of play from Kirk Cousins is another one where it's like, yeah, Justin Jefferson's down there somewhere. I mean, that was a dimer, though. And as soon as Jefferson had that ball on the sideline, uh, the broadcast thing was like, oh, did he catch it? I'm like, Man, you think Justin Jefferson, all the crazy stuff he's done in this game, didn't have to- two toes in? I, mean, I, I would have bet my life on the fact that Justin Jefferson secured that catch before I actually knew that it was true and I saw a replay, and obviously he did. And so, yeah, when he catches that ball and they get down to the three, three-and-a-half, two-yard line, whatever it was, and you think, okay, 
this is where the Vikings are going to win it. They're going to pound it in. They've got the attitude. They've got the right you know, mentality, whatever they need to make sure that this ball gets in there. And to the Bills' credit, their defense held another goal line stand there. That defense, no matter what, I mean, they, they did not break throughout that entire game. And so, you know, they didn't win it, obviously, but they still were playing the whole time. You know, you have to defend every single blade of grass. And to the Bills' defensive credit, I, they did that. You know, they did not allow them to get in the end zone at the end of the game. And, and you have to wonder, now, this isn't quite at the same level as maybe in Denver, where the defense is doing everything it can every week to try to win games and the offense oh, no. just won't hold up its end. But there's not, so, not no, 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 but, but I mean, here, here's, here's my concern. If I'm a bills fan this morning, I'm concerned about two things. And this is a take that, that I, I've have borrowed slash stolen from Sims that dawned on me after Dak Prescott got injured and the Cowboys began to diversify their offense, put more creativity into the play design, the play calling. You don't just rely on your star player to go out there and win the game for you. And there's a temptation by these teams that have great quarterbacks to just rely upon the great quarterback to go do great things. We don't need to have next-level play design. We don't need to have you know, intricate and detailed and you know, self-scouting and Next level scout. No, we, we we've got we've got Josh Allen in this case with the Bills. We Josh Allen just goes out and does Josh Allen things. I think you can fall into the trap of relying too much on Josh Allen to save your ass, and I think the Bills may be guilty of that currently. And the other thing, Miles, and this was from talking to Patrick Peterson about both of his interceptions. Mm-hmm. There's something on film that savvy defensive backs are deciphering and they're factoring it into the way they play the Bills. Hmm. I, I could hear it in the way Patrick Peterson explained it. The first interception, he, you know, he knows Josh Allen likes to leave the pocket. Well, as soon as Josh Allen left the pocket, Patrick Peterson pushed Isaiah McKenzie out of bounds. It's a legal play. There's, the illegal yeah. contact rules go away when the quarterback leaves the pocket. So he leaves yep. the pocket and and – Peterson neutralized McKenzie. If you watch that first interception, if we can play it, you can see McKenzie just standing there. He's helpless. He's out of the play. He's done. He's a spectator. And then from there, Peterson knew where to be, what to go. He, 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 you know, he was waiting for somebody to look at McKenzie. He's just standing there. He didn't even go try to make the tackle. I mean, it's not like you're, it's not like you're disqualified at that point. Get back in the field. But um, and then on the second one, it was another example, that second interception, another example of film study and understanding tendencies. And there's Peterson in the right spot. And he said Gabe Davis was was split wide and he knew that Davis at some point was going to break to the middle from film study. And and he was waiting for Davis to break. And the moment he, he noticed him break, he forgot about Davis and started playing the quarterback and just waited for it. He knew it was coming. So so. Ken Dorsey, Sean McDermott, whoever, you better spend some time this week. Get your quality control people on it. Self-scout. Yeah. Because you are falling behind in the competition. And this is one of the things I love about football is you get deeper into the season. The competition is, can we stay ahead of what we've done and what we're doing Yes. more so than what the opponent is? 
because they're going to figure something out and it's going to kill us in a key moment. And that's a prime example of it yesterday. Patrick Peterson, now, he had to put in the time. Kyler Murray. He had to put in the time. Whoa. The Catching strays. Where did that come from? <laughs> but this where is an example. That? Kyler Murray didn't even play yesterday. <laughs> and he's catching strays. This is, a, this is an example of why it becomes an around-the-clock obsession to study film. There's so much you can look for. You don't know what you're looking for. You're just looking and looking and looking. What do they do? What can I glean from this that's going to help me in that moment? And this is a prime example of it. uh, Patrick Peterson knew where to be, when to be, how to be, and they win the game. At a moment where we're expecting Josh Allen to throw one of those piss missiles right down the seam, and Sims was saying it, here it comes. He's going to throw right down the middle. It's going to be a touchdown. We've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen it. The problem is the opponents have seen it too. And after they see it enough times, they come up with ways to stop it. And that's exactly what Peterson did. So if I'm the Bills, I'm concerned about this. There, there is a flaw that we need to eliminate quickly. We yeah. need to come up with something to counter this because they've begun to figure us out. That's exactly right, Mike. It's always the counter to the counter, right? You come out in the beginning of the season, you have a plan to establish what it is that you want to do, what it is that your identity is going to be. Defenses start to figure that out, at least if we're talking about offense, right? And then you have to say, okay, how do we now start to play off of things that maybe we've done? Or how do we introduce something that's a little bit newer, a little more of a wrinkle? I mean, we're not going to talk that much about this game, but the Kansas City Chiefs are doing that right now, right? They got Kadarius Tony, and they're still doing all kinds of different things. And yes, granted, they were playing the Jaguars yesterday, but you see how they continually introduce new and different things into what they already have. The Buffalo Bills are going to have to start doing that. I mean, they have elite players in Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. How do you continue to make sure that the guys around them Right, the Dawson Knoxes of the world, the Gabe Davises, the Isaiah McKenzies. How do we make sure that we are still utilizing those guys to their fullest potential and making sure that you don't have situations where a veteran cornerback like Patrick Peterson can figure out tendencies? Not, not every team has a Patrick Peterson, right? I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. So you're not going to always face those kinds of things where you've got a defensive back who understands how things are because they've been in the league for 10 plus years and still has that kind of elite ability. But the smart defensive coaches are also going to figure out those tendencies. Because like you said, if, I mean, if there are things that I always say this, if I can figure out certain tendencies and certain things, then there are certainly coaches that have not only figured that out, but probably figured out a way to combat it. So once we're saying these things as TV people, then it's definitely incumbent on the Bills to figure out what they have to do to make sure those things don't happen anymore. You've got to figure out some tendency breakers and get those things in there so you're not facing situations like that. And this gets back to something I said before the season. The weight of the world was on the Buffalo Bills coming into this year. Prohibitive Super Bowl favorites, Josh Allen, MVP. Just it's, it's high expectations, high expectations. And you yeah. throw Ken Dorsey into the offensive coordinator job, and we don't, we don't know what he's going to do in that role. We don't know. That was a new role for him. They had kind of worked him in last year, but Brian Dayball leaves. This is Look, look, I know we're, we're beginning the process, the annual game of who's going to be a head coach. And, if I, and I should do this. I should keep notes every Sunday. You hear the various names. Well, he's going to be a coach next year. He's going to be a head coach next year. He's going to, hey, there aren't going to be that many vacancies. Yeah, hey, 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 sports media. 
broadcasters, you're flagging like 20 guys to be head coaches next year. <laughs> there won't be 20 vacancies. Um, but, but when you have a defensive coach, the offensive coordinator position is so critical. And Sean McDermott's yep. a defensive guy, and your offensive coordinator leaves and enter a new offensive coordinator. That's why I would err on the side. All due respect to Coach Dungy, one of the greats of all time. He was a defensive guy. I would want an offensive coach just because I know I'm going to have continuity in my offensive, just this whole effort of how do we stay ahead? How do we have from this year to next year, from this game to next game, the head coach, the Sean Payton, the straw who stirs the drink, the guy who's, who's burning the midnight oil coming up with these plays. What can, what wrinkle can we throw in against this defense? How do we stay ahead of them both as it relates to their defense and our offense? sometimes it's got to be the man in charge who's doing that. And the Vikings swung back to an offensive guy for the first time since Brad Childers. I mean, it, 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 it took about 10 years to get them to embrace an offensive guy again after Brad Childress. And for that, I cannot blame them, but that, that's the, the value of it. And Hey, right now, right now, based on yesterday, Kevin O'Connell coach of the year, Justin Jefferson fringe of the MVP discussion. They'd still have to be the number one seed in the NFC, which is still possible. But you know, eight straight wins. This is their best record through nine games since 2009. That was the Brett Favre good year, not the Brett Favre bad year in Minnesota with Brad Childress as the head coach. So, hey, hey, you know, Chile did do some good things. It helped to have Brett Favre while he still had a fastball. But uh, do, do, do you believe in the Vikings right now? Is that, is that even a stupid question after yesterday? How can anyone not believe in the Vikings after yesterday? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, yeah, I don't know how anybody could not believe in the Vikings. Like I said, they've they've proven that they can go play with the big boys, right? I mean, you know, right now the Bills are not necessarily uh, carrying the record, let's call it, that we might have thought that they would have at this point in the season. But at the same time, it's not like they're a bad team. We know that they can go out there and win. We know that they can go out there and beat people down sometimes. And then sometimes they also have trouble winning close games. You know, they've done it at certain points. They did it against Baltimore. But then you play a game like yesterday, and when it comes down to those critical moments, you just don't get it done. I guess I would say this one thing about Ken Dorsey. Uh, he didn't make the decision to go forward on fourth and two, right? They're in the fourth quarter where they don't get it, and then that makes a big difference in the game. He didn't make that choice. So, you know, I mean, he probably chose to play, but that's something that does fall on Sean McDermott in the game management aspect of it. So there are, there's plenty of blame to go around. But see, and this is another reason why I am pro-offensive head coach. And Joe Davis or Moose Johnston made this point yesterday. When you're the head coach and you're the offensive play caller, when you're making the decision to go or not go, you also know intimately what your options are for that play. But if you're the head coach, you got to know that anyway. Well, if, if you're, I mean, you know, I'm not common about but, this before but, where, you know. I think the coordinator's you're, in you're a better so position. The that, coordinator's in a better position. Not that it works for I the guess. Vikings. I mean, hey, hey, the Vikings had multiple cracks inside the two. <laughs> it just added right. to the excitement. I mean, it's not like O'Connell was cashing in with those those plays he, he dialed up in key moments yesterday. But I, I yeah. think that when you're in that, you know, hey, Nathaniel, the clock is ticking moment and you got to decide, do I go for it and what, well, it's not a stray. Do I go for it and what play am I going to call? Do I go for it and what play am I going to call? 
That's the key, and that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why good coaches push back against the obsession with analytics. I've noticed that the obsession with analytics is subsiding a little bit. Practicality has come into play, and one of the things about it is, hey, okay, the, the stats say I should go for it here. Well, how do I feel about my remaining short yardage options? What's my first mm-hmm. option? What's my second? What's my third? Dare I go back and use a play that I've already used, whether it worked or whether it didn't work? There is this weird fear of using play. Oh, we can't use a play again. Why can't you play again? Why? Why? If it worked, why aren't you using it again? We use it again. Use it until they stop it. But, you know, that, that's part of the analysis. What do I have in this moment that I'm going to use to try to get me whatever it is that I need? So the Bills yeah. liked their play enough for Sean McDermott to say go for it instead of kicking the field goal. And they probably did the math, and you know, thirty to seventeen, and we could, you know, we have, assuming Greg Joseph makes his extra points, we could lose this game thirty-one to thirty. So I understand it, and you got to be aggressive. You got to be aggressive. You got to be aggressive. And you know, one last point, and this gets back to the preseason expectations. Hey, Miles, this team's six and three now. They are no longer the top seed in the conference. They are no longer first place in their division. They are now technically in third place in the AFC East. Um. If they don't live up to or don't come close to living up to the expectations that were in place for them before the season, that's when people have to start worrying about their jobs. That's when, that's when you may get the John Elway politely asking John Fox to pack up his stuff and leave a year after going to the Super Bowl because you come to the conclusion that we've got this great team and maybe we need somebody else to push us over the top. And 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 yeah. that that's that's the that's that's what w- what I talk about when I say that the, the expectations and the pressure, it just right. it, 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 it look, these guys are human. At a certain point, they feel they feel it, and it and it affects them, and it makes them do things that maybe they wouldn't have done. And maybe this oh we you know we gotta we gotta reestablish ourselves. We gotta be aggressive. We gotta we gotta we gotta deliver the dagger to this this Rasputin team that won't die. This is our chance. You know whatever. That just it just adds to it and enhances the moment, and it, and it contributed to the game of the year, game of the decade, and or game of the century. All due respect to other games that probably were better, but I love being a prisoner of the moment. Why not be? If you're going to be a prisoner of anything, why not be a prisoner of the moment? That would be the easiest know, thing. Mike. If you're going to be a prisoner, prisoner of the moment would probably be the best. Okay, yeah, for sure. I guess, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't even know where to go with that, <laughs> other than to say that you know. I think if you're the Bills. You are still okay, right? There, everything is still pretty much in front oh, of you. Absolutely. Now, if, if, if the, the Kansas City Chiefs are in a great spot too right now, because as Andy Reid said after the game, look, they control their own outcome in the AFC. If they keep winning, then nobody else is going to be able to catch them because they're the only team with two losses. So they have to be able to do that. And then, you know, all roads go through Kansas City once again, and we all get to eat barbecue, and it's really fun. But... At the same time, if you're the Bills, you just have to be, you know, just calm about the whole thing. You say, all right, look, we've been through bad stuff before. We've lost games before. We have to have faith in the talent and and the gumption and whatever else you want to call it that is already in this room. We have everything we need right here. And we can solve every single problem with all the guys who are already here. You know, there's nothing else that we need to do. Block out the noise. You're going to be all right, Buffalo Bills, but you just can't let this team beat you twice, right? You cannot let this loss linger. Put it away. It's gone. It's over. 
You know, you played well. You had a valiant effort. It just didn't work out. Let's move on. It's over. Let's go. Cancel check. We got to keep it moving because that's the only way that this is actually going to work. But that's the problem. And this goes back to basically what you're saying, right? The more you have games like this, the more maybe doubt starts to creep in the back of your mind. But if doubt's starting to creep in, you punch that thing out. You whack that mole. You know, it's got to go away. You just have to keep moving. But that's the other side of it. You win a game like yesterday and you come away thinking, maybe this is our year. You lose a game like yesterday and you come away thinking, maybe Maybe this isn't our year. Again, for the Bills. Uh, They got the Browns next week. Then they go to Detroit. (laughs) We will see. There's a get right game. (laughs) We will see. We will see the Bills on Thanksgiving just 10 days from now at Detroit to start the day. The following Thursday night, we will see them at New England. Then they have the Jets. Then they have the Dolphins. Then they're at Chicago, at Cincinnati, and they finish the season with the Patriots. They got some, they got some tough games coming up. Two against the Patriots, one against the Dolphins, one against the Jets. Chicago sneaky Chicago, tough. Chicago will give you everything they can handle. That's the yeah. thing. There aren't – you look around the league right now, there aren't many teams you can point to and say, that team's going to lay down. That team just doesn't have it. I can name that a couple. Team. Well, we, are you going to say well, who? You, who? Who would you name? Oh, we need to take a break, but I'm curious. Are you? Are you? Are you anti Browns? Are you trying to like will the Browns into contention by being extremely negative? Oh, no. Have you learned that from me? No, no, no. I, I was going to say the Raiders. Oh well, the Raiders. That's true. Well, that's down. true. We'll talk about them coming up. That's true. That is true. I had forgotten about that. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about that later in the program. Before that, though, one of the teams that that folks were ready to give up on after five straight losses, reestablished themselves with another overtime win yesterday. They cut into the viewership, thank you very little, of Football Night in America. All these people watching an actual football game in overtime and not watching Football Night in America. How dare you? We'll talk about Packers-Cowboys when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 